Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. This is not where we're going to end up this morning, but it will tie us to last week. And then we will spend our time this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. As you know, I've been preaching a series of sermons entitled, A Call for Men to be Godly. And I began with what is really an urgent need of the hour, so to speak, and that is a call for men to be sexually pure. And so I preached five sermons on that subject, to call us as men to be careful to walk in holiness and purity. And we saw an example of the dangers of sexual morality, even in the life of one who was a man after God's own heart, King David. But then we saw the godly example of Joseph, who did not sin against God, and the godly example of Moses himself, who, because of his affections for and desire for the things of God, did not go down a path of following the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life in Egypt. And then I preached on spiritually industrious men, not primarily speaking of labor and that kind of industry, but a spiritual industry in which we are careful how we walk, making the most of our time, for the days are evil. From Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, that we are to be, as men, giving ourselves to spiritual industry, making the most of our time, purposing to follow the will of God as revealed in Scripture. And then we continued in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. It was a call for men to be sober men. Literally sober men. Not being drunk with wine. Not being under the influence of alcohol or any other substance. But ultimately, then the next sermon, be filled with the Spirit. Being directed by, filled with the Spirit of the living God. And so we saw that and had that call for us. But then last week, I began with the first fruit of the Spirit. If we're men who are filled with the Spirit, then that first among the list in Galatians 5, and 23 is love. And so last week was a call for men to be loving men. Now, I began by reading in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 16 that says, Be on the alert, that's be sober, be sober-minded. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We saw last week that this should characterize the whole church. These are qualities that should characterize every believer and the church corporately together. This is a call to the church in Corinth and a call to us as well. But these are particular characteristics, qualities that we associate with men in particular. We're to be men who stand firm. We're to act like men. We're to be courageous and brave. We're to be strong. Now, I will preach a sermon entitled Strong Men and what that means scripturally and in the ways in which we're to be strong. And we'll come back to that verse. But I read verse 13 that we might not separate what it means to be strong with what it means to be loving in verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. And so in other words, Paul is saying be strong to the church, but also be loving. Sometimes we think that being strong means that we're to be insensitive and uncaring and unloving, unaffectionate. But we saw last week that God has not called us to be stoical or unfeeling. We are to be strong, but also sympathetic. We are to be as men in particular, as we apply this to us, tough in the sense that we're durable, but also tender. We're to be firm. We're to stand firm in the faith. We'll see what that means when we go back to that verse in 1 Corinthians 16. But also, we're to be kind-hearted. We're to be men of deep conviction, but also men of heartfelt compassion. God calls us to be men of passion, but not sinful passion, but godly passion. 
We're to be men of deep feeling. Godly emotions, godly affections. We're to love God deeply. We're to love others sincerely. We're to love the Word of God steadfastly. We're to weep for the souls of the lost. We're to love our families. We're to love the church. We're to be driven by and directed by godly affections, godly loves, and in this way we are to be strong. Men are to be lovers. Lovers of God. Lovers of what is good. Lovers of the Word of God. Lovers of neighbors. Lovers of the lost. Lovers of their wives and children. Lovers of the church. So Paul says in verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 16, Let all that you do be done in love. Let love permeate all that you do. Now again, this is to be true of the whole church, but I... I'm doing as we find even in Scripture where Titus chapter 2, Paul addresses or he tells Titus, you address certain men and women in the church, older men, younger men, older women, younger women. We'll see in a moment in Ephesians that men particularly are addressed. And so I've been preaching these sermons to stir us up, men, to be godly men, holy men. And in the subject of being loving men, I said we must purpose to be loving men. Why must we purpose to be so? And I answered it last week in three ways. First, because of the consequences of sin. Because sin has now entered into the picture, and we saw in Genesis 3, in particular verse 16, that we are prone to distort what God has created us to be as men. And to abuse our authority. And therefore, we need to be tempered by biblical love. We have to purpose to be loving men. That we might not be authoritarian men lording it over our wives or families. So, we need to purpose to be loving men because of the consequences of sin. But secondly, I said, because of the centrality of love in the scriptures. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then to love your neighbors yourself. And we see throughout the scriptures that love is the fulfillment of the moral law of God. And so the centrality of love in the scriptures means that we must purpose to be loving men. But thirdly, I said we must purpose to do so because of the example of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We have a sympathetic high priest. We have a high priest who is loving. We sing whose name is love. And even as men, we desire a loving, sympathetic, caring high priest. Do we not, men? And our Lord Jesus Christ was, when he walked this earth, the embodiment of what it meant to love. He was without sin. And therefore, he loved perfectly, consistently with the command to love God the Father and love neighbor. And so if we're to be like Christ, we will be loving men with godly affections. Now, let me narrow the focus this morning under the subject of being loving men. We're not just to be loving men, but in particular a call this morning and next time to be loving husbands. And so let's focus on that very important love in the life of a married man by turning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So this morning is a call for men to be loving husbands. It will be two parts, but we'll begin this week. In Ephesians chapter 5. Hear the word of God beginning in verse 25. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, I'm going to follow this outline. Let me just outline the passage for you first of all. We won't cover all of this this morning, but this will be our outline. First, these three main headings, the command, the example, and the description. First, we'll see the command to love, then the example of love, and then the description of love. We'll see in verse 25 the command for husbands to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. Then we will see the example of love, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Just as Christ also loved the church, it says in verse 25. And then next time, I don't say next week because I won't be preaching next week. But the next time we'll then finish the outline with a description of love that's found in verses 25 to 31. And we'll have these four subheadings. Husbands, our love for our wives is to be a sacrificial love, a particular love, a sanctifying love, and a nurturing love. A sacrificial love, we see at the end of verse 25, and gave himself up for her. A particular love... For her, men, you're to set this kind of love upon your own wife. It is a unique love, a particular love. It is to be a sanctifying love. We'll see in verses 26 and 27. But then in verses 28 to 31, a nurturing love, a love that cherishes. Now, let's look at the passage in more detail with application along the way. Again, this morning, we'll just be in verse 25, looking at the command for men to love their wives and the example, the example of Christ. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, it's a direct address. To get the attention of a particular group of people here, the Apostle Paul says, men, pay attention. And in particular, you who are husbands. And as we have this penned in sacred scripture, the Apostle born alone by the Spirit of God, it is God addressing not only those in Ephesus, but all husbands. Men, pay attention. God is addressing you. Here's your responsibility. Here's what God calls you to do. You are to love your wives. Now, pulling from last week about loving men and why we have to purpose to be loving men, going back to Genesis 3.16. If you didn't, if you weren't here, you can listen to that and catch up, but I'm not going to summarize all of that. But this command to love is in the light of the fact that we are fallen men. And the emphasis here is not men lead or rule your households, be the head of your home, although we believe that God has called men to be the head of their households, to manage their households, the old King James, to rule their households well. But here the command is to love, because the temptation is for us to abuse that God-given authority and to use it for selfish or sinful purposes. And so the command here is, men, husbands, love your wives. Your headship, your leadership, is not to be as one who is lording it over your wife. Your headship is to be a loving headship that seeks her spiritual good. Husbands, love your wives. Men, this role of headship in the home is not for you to be prideful. 
the weight and responsibility is head. And the reality that you will give an account to God for that headship should be a cause for humility. And the knowledge that in our sinfulness, we will be tempted to abuse the authority God has given to us should be a cause for contriteness, for a dependence upon the grace of God to make sure that our leadership is always a loving leadership. Husbands, love your wives. Very important statement. Love is the biblical environment where a marriage can grow. Love is the biblical environment where a marriage can grow. Husbands, your love for your wives should create an atmosphere in your relationship where your wives can then thrive spiritually. Now, later in Ephesians, in chapter 6, verse 4, God again will call out men, in particular who are fathers, and say, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And he'll say something similar again to those men who are husbands but also fathers. Don't create an atmosphere of wrath and anger. Don't provoke them to anger because you're not following Christ as you should. But instead, you should lovingly bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But here the focus is on the marriage relationship. Love your wives because love is the biblical environment and atmosphere, so to speak, where mares can grow and our wives can thrive, spiritually speaking. Husbands, you are responsible to make sure that love, biblical love, characterizes your relationship with your wife and the atmosphere of your marriage and your home. Now, some of you, as I look around here, have gone through premarital counseling with me before you got married, and you may or may not remember this. I understand you don't hear everything when you're in love (laughs) and sitting there with your pastor and premarital counseling, but one of the things that I emphasize in premarital counseling when I talk about the role and responsibility of the husbands, I say to you, the, the, the man who is to be married, you're responsible to make sure that love is the atmosphere of your home and your relationship. It doesn't say that of the wife, but of the husband, because we often think, well, yes, our wives are more naturally, we think, loving. But not us men. That's why I preach we're to be loving men, so we might understand something of what God has called us to be, not as stoic men, but loving men, and then it's applied to our relationships. Men, you are responsible to make sure that love is the environment of your home. You are to love your wives. So again, it's something we must purpose to do. We're commanded to do this. And when we do this, then what God has called our wives to be in verses 22 to to 20, excuse me, 22 to 24, and then in verse 33 to respect their husbands, When we do what God has called us to do in loving them, then we make it not hard, but easy for them to submit to us, to follow our leadership. Because submission and respect usually grows and flourishes in an environment of biblical love. Therefore, men, husbands, create, foster, and maintain an environment and atmosphere of love in your relationship with your wife and in your home. This is our responsibility. It's a command. Love your wives. It's in the present tense, which often in the Greek language means it's something that, not that you do once, but that you continue to do. Do it now. Love your wives and continue to love them. Start loving them now And continue loving your wives. We could say it this way, by way of application. Husbands, love your wives continuously at all times and in every situation. Continuously. At all times. 
in every situation. We shouldn't have the attitude as husbands to say, well, yeah, I hear what God's word says. I hear this sermon. I've heard it before. I'll work on it sometime. No, love her now. This is a call to us men to love our wives now. This isn't something you might do when you get around to it. (laughs) This is something you're to do now. The God of heaven, your God and Father, who has saved you by grace, has said, husbands, love your wives. And this is part of what it means to be spiritually industrious men. Remember Ephesians 5.17, we're not to be foolish, but we're to understand what the will of the Lord is and we're to walk in it, we're to do it. Well, this is the will of the Lord. And if you're not purposing to love your wives now and continuously and in every situation, then you're not a spiritually industrious man either. You're not consumed with doing the will of God, for this is the will of God. So love her now and keep loving her. It doesn't say love her when she, and fill in the blank, or if she does this or that, and fill in the blank. We may not verbalize it, but sometimes we might think in our minds or act in a way that really is communicating. I will love her when she does so and so. I will love her if She does this or that. And we put conditions on our love for our wives. And when we do that, we're not loving them. In Ephesians 5.25, does anyone see the word if? Because if you do, you need to get rid of that translation. (laughs) It's nowhere in the passage. It doesn't say love your wives if... But she's not fulfilling her role. It doesn't say if your wife understands and obeys verses 22 to 24, then husbands love your wives. No, it just says husbands love your wives. Now and continue to do it. At all times, in every situation, this is what God has called us to be, lovers of our wives. And when we wait to obey this command and love them only when there's some condition they fulfill or some way in which they reciprocate toward us, then we act like unbelievers. For Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Do not even the Gentiles, pagans who don't know God, in the context that's what Gentiles meant, godless people, do they not love people who love them? Do they not reciprocate only when someone does something good to them? Men, we're called to love our wives at all times and in every situation. And so don't believe the lie that you can only love your wife if she obeys God, if she fulfills her role in marriage, or if she meets some standard of your own making, or if she doesn't do this, or if she does do that. No, the God who has saved us by grace commands us to love our wives. It is not provisional. I'll love her provided she do whatever you put there. It's not conditional, it's not qualified, and it's not limited. And so from the very beginning, men, we see this command teaches us two very important truths or principles. First, love is a choice. Someone might say, and through the years of pastor, I've heard men say, I can't love my wife. No, you're not choosing to love your wife. Or I just don't love her anymore. No, you're not choosing to love her anymore. Well, I once loved her. We fell in love. You've heard me say that the world's teaching. You hear this all the time. Two people fell in love. 
we shouldn't characterize it that way. I know we say it, I'm not trying to be a legalist. If you say it, you're sinning in some way. But I think we need to think and speak biblically. We don't fall in love. We choose to love. In my book, falling is a bad thing. It's a negative connotation. When I think of falling, I think of when I fell and broke my elbow. Falling is an accident. But biblical love is no accident. It's a choice. And people who fall in love eventually fall out of love. Why? Because falling in love usually has more to do with lust than with love. It usually has more to do with what the person gives me or doesn't give me or doesn't do rather than biblical love being I choose to love this person, to act in a way that is for their spiritual good at all times and in all circumstances. That's why in the marriage ceremony, we say things like this. Do you take this woman to be your wife? To live together in holy marriage? Do you promise to love her? To lead her? to comfort her, to honor her, and to cherish her. And forsaking all others, do you now promise to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I do. It is a promise. It is a commitment. It is a choice. And those are the traditional vows in marriage for a reason. They are based solidly on Scripture. I promise to love you and all of what that means, and I'm going to vow that, and I'm going to say that I do. And then when you go on your honeymoon and there's a conflict over something, or soon after the, the proverbial honeymoon is over and there's conflict about something, you don't say, I don't know if I promise to love you now. No, it's a choice. Husbands, love your wives. And therefore, you say, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my vow to you. That is biblical because love is a choice and a commitment. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now notice in that familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, it doesn't say love feels patient. Love feels kind. You're not always going to feel patient. But you can choose to be patient. You see, biblical love does not react. Biblical love acts based upon the word of God. It chooses to be patient, to be kind, to love in every circumstance, in every situation. And when we love like this, we love as God loves us. Aren't you glad that the love of God in Christ for His church is not conditioned upon something we do? So love is a choice. But there's another principle from this command, this present imperative here, and it's this. Love is not based on the loveliness or lovability of the person. Just let it sink in, and hopefully sinking in, not just to get through a sermon, but to understand this is what God says in his word. Love, in, as described here, is not based on the loveliness or lovability of the person. You might think, and someone might say, well, she's not very lovable. Again, look at the text. Does it say, husbands, love your lovable wives? Or husbands, love your wives when they are lovable. It doesn't say that. 
And men, isn't it true that we're not so lovable? There are not many wise according to the flesh in the kingdom of God. There are not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 1 Corinthians 1.26 reminds us that we are not so noble and wise. But no, we're foolish and weak. We're sinners. God has loved us even when we were his enemies. When there was nothing in us to cause him to save us. It was not based on our performance or being lovable, but when we were unlovely, when we were sinners, rebels. Well, a man might say, well, she's not the woman I married. She's changed. If that's true, how much of that is because you've not loved her as God has called you to love her? Again, if you've loved her, and are growing in that love as God has called you to, then that is the environment in which a saved woman will flourish. So husbands, love your wives. This is the command. Choose to love your wives now and choose to continue to love them at all times, in all circumstances, and with no conditions. So that's the command. But then it says this, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we would ask the question naturally, well, how am I to love her? In what manner am I to love her? Do you have an example that you can show me? Yes, there's an example. It's the love of Jesus Christ for his church. So here we see the example of love, the love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Husbands, love your wives. Be loving husbands. Let this be the environment that you create, the atmosphere you create in that relationship. You choose to do this at all times in every situation, not conditioned upon her. And here's how you do it, just as Christ loved the church. This is not just an example. This is the example of love. Just as or even as. The Greek word used here is used as a comparative. Paul is comparing the love of Christ for his church with the love husbands are to have for their wives. That ought to arrest us. Implied is that there will be a question as to what the love of a husband for his wife should look like. And therefore the apostle compares the love a husband is to have for his wife with the love that Christ has for his church. Husbands, love your wives. In what way? In this way. Just as Christ loved the church. And this word in the Greek, translated again sometimes as just as, can also express manner or proportion or degree. Here is the manner and the degree to which you're to love your wife. You're to love your bride in a manner likened to that of Christ's love for his church. You're to love your bride in this way, your love is to be in like manner and it is to be in the likeness of degree that Christ loved and loves his bride, the church. So husbands, love your wives. But how? Just as Christ also loved the church. But in what manner and to what degree? And he gave himself up for her. So here we see the example of Christ's love. Brethren, isn't this how we're to live the Christian life? Aren't we too as justified sinners through faith in Christ now to look to our Lord Jesus and grow in Christ's likeness? Are we not to look to his example and his pattern? Didn't 1 John 2 verse 6, didn't the Apostle John write there, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus Christ, walked? 
When suffering, what do we do? We look to Christ, 1 Peter 2.21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, a model, a pattern for you to follow in His steps. How should I serve others? Look to Christ. In John 13, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, If I then, the Lord and the Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you, Jesus said, an example, a model, a pattern to imitate. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another. That wasn't a new commandment to love one another, but what was new about it is this. He said, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Give me an example of what that looks like. Christ has accepted us. Therefore, we are to accept one another. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says, Walk in love. How? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. So what Jesus did for his church was redemptive and saving. It was for the church's salvation. It goes without saying that we don't love our wives redemptively or savingly. That's the love of Christ in saving sinners. However, Husbands, the love we are commanded to have for our wives is to be of the same kind of love and in like manner. Christ's love for you and Christ's love for the church is an example, a picture of what our love for our wives should be like. Our love should mirror his love for the church. So Paul gives us the supreme example of love, the great Love of God for us in Christ. Men, be loving husbands by imitating the love of Christ in your relationship with your wife. Men, have you gotten off track in some way as you're hearing these things and the Holy Spirit uses the word and it's convicting you of sin and you say, I've gotten off track, I've lost my focus. Have you forgotten what kind of love you're to have for your wife? then look to Christ. If you seem to be losing sight of what your love for your wife should be like, look to Christ's love for His church. His love for His bride. And that will set you back on course. Men, this is what we must always do. And again, this is what every believer must do, but I'm speaking to you men in particular in calling you to be godly men, to be loving men, to be loving husbands. How quickly as sinners we can get off track. We can be on track one minute and we can be filled with the Spirit and obeying the will of the Lord. And in a moment, we're off track. And so ever before us must be the gospel. The love of God for us in Christ. The love of Christ for his bride, the church. And when we get off track, even for a moment, this is the problem. We forget. I forget. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. So how do I, how do I get off track so easily? And how can I get back on track to what God has called me to be? Look to Christ. Have Him ever before you. Have the gospel central in your heart and mind and life. It is to permeate everything. So men, be loving husbands by imitating the love of Christ in your relationship with your wife. For His love for His church is exemplary. It is instructive. It is convicting. And it's humbling. And when we follow the pattern of Christ as spirit-filled men trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, understanding what the will of the Lord is, then we're trained in righteousness. So I'm a young husband. I've not had as many years of understanding these things and walking in these things. 
And someone else might say, well, I've been a, a husband for 35 years. Here's what's wonderful about this instruction. If you're a believer, you can be a young believer and a young husband, or a young believer and an old husband, or an old believer and an old husband. Whatever the category is, we all know as believers what the love of God for us in Christ is. We know the gospel. And so in one sense, we can't plead ignorance. We know something of the love of Christ for us. Apply that to that relationship. Someone might say, but I didn't see love demonstrated in my home growing up. My father didn't love my mother. But you have a greater example. The love of Christ for his church. And that defines And that demonstrates true love perfectly. So men, look to Jesus. And love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Make that your study to understand what that means. So I understand the gospel. Make it your study to know the depths of the love of God, the breadth of the love of God. So it's a call here to love, even as Christ has loved us and has loved the church. It is a particular love. Now, we'll we'll get into this detail next time, but, but just follow. By the way, this is not primarily referring to physical intimacy. Although a loving husband will love his wife in that way, And a loving husband will keep the marriage bed undefiled. But love, as spoken of here, is not equal to physical intimacy. Later in the passage, and we'll get into this in more detail next time, but he quotes Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When you hear that phrase, one flesh, you should think physical intimacy of marriage that is now lawful and good and holy within the marriage covenant. But you should think more than that. This one flesh relationship is not just that, but it's a oneness of heart and life and soul intertwined together. And so when it says love your wives, it's not simply saying love them in that very important and lawful and good way of physical intimacy. But it means, as we'll see later in the passage, love them as if they're your own body. The oneness, how you nurture and care for your own body. No man in his right mind harms himself, but he takes care of himself and his own body. Love your wives as if, which is really true, there's this one flesh relationship. But he points here to the act of Christ giving himself up for the church. What particular act of love is he referring to? I believe here the cross. He gave himself willingly. Up for us. Christ died for his bride. He humbled himself and he emptied himself. He became a man in order that he might be obedient to the point of obedience even to death on a cross. He bore the shame and wrath of his church. Why? Because the church was lovable and deserved it? Because the church would always reciprocate that love? No, because he chose to love his holy bride. Husbands, in this way, in this manner, and in like kind, put yourself aside and always give yourself for her, seeking her good in all things. You see, the command to love our wives cannot be separated from the example of the love of Christ for his church. Let me say it this way. The command to love our wives, is inextricably bound to Christ's love for his church. So men, your love for your wife in this way cannot take place without a thorough 
purposeful understanding of the gospel, a deepening, ever-increasing understanding of the gospel that then leads to live in light of the gospel. So I could say it this way. Men, you can't love your wives in this way. You can't be loving husbands unless you're gospel men. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first, you must be one who knows the gospel and one who has placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. At the core of what it means to be a gospel man means you're a believer. So if you're an unbeliever, you cannot love in this way. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you can love in some sense. You're made in the image of God. The law of God is written upon your heart. And unless you have completely seared your conscience, you know something about what love is. However, love that glorifies God and is in like manner of God's love for us in Christ can only be truly emulated by those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who understand the love of Christ as revealed in the gospel and by those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them and enabling them to love even as we have been loved by Christ. So if there's a man here, a husband here that says, why can't I love my wife in this way? Maybe you don't know the love of Christ. Maybe you've not been redeemed. Maybe you don't have his Holy Spirit indwelling you because you're not a believer and therefore you're not bearing the fruit of love. You might say, how can I save my marriage? Here's how you save your marriage. Turn to Christ and be saved. Then your marriage might be saved. Men, you can only love like this by being gospel men who placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. But if you are a believer and you know and believe the gospel, then your relationship with your wife must always be in light of the gospel and in light of the love of Christ for his church. Therefore, men, you must purpose not just to love your wife. You must purpose to love your wife just as Christ also loved the church. This must be your theme That phrase, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that must be the theme, men, of your love for your wife. This must inform how you view your role as a husband. This must permeate how you relate to your wife in all things. It must be your intention and goal to make the environment of your relationship with your wife and the atmosphere of your home just as Christ also loved the church. We like to put placards in our homes and verses, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You don't have to put a placard, but let it be fixed upon our minds and hearts, men. To be loving husbands, we must be gospel men who are so affected by, stirred by the gospel, studying the gospel, knowing the gospel, affected by the gospel, directed by the gospel, that then our relationship with our wives is as Christ's love for his church. And we must purpose to love our wives in this way. We'll see what this looks like more clearly next time when we see the description of the love found here in verses 25 to 31. A sacrificial, particular, sanctifying, nurturing love. Our love for our wives is to be Christ-like love, indeed a gospel-like love. For the gospel informs, directs, empowers our love for our wives. So men, how often do you consider Christ's love for his church. You say, how do I begin? Or if I've fallen short in some way, or I'm off track in some way, where do I begin? You begin with the gospel. 
you begin with contemplating the love of God in Christ. How often do you contemplate the gospel? You say, not often. Then you can't love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It has to be forefront of your mind. How often, men, do you pray for an increased understanding of the love of God in Christ? And then in light of that, how often do you consider how the gospel affects your relationships, and in particular, the marriage relationships? So men, to be loving husbands, we must be gospel husbands. For the scripture says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, it is my prayer that your word might not just be heard, but that we as men would be affected by these things, convicted, reproved, corrected, but also trained in righteousness as we humbly believe and obey by your Spirit these things. Father, I pray that we as men might be sanctified ourselves, that the gospel would be our theme. It would be what directs our lives. Not comfort, not ease, not money, not various goals, not just to have families or marriages that look good in certain ways and that benefit us in certain ways. May it be to your glory. And Father, I pray that it be to your glory because we as men love our wives just as Christ has loved us, just as Christ has loved his church. So Father, I pray that we would be men who are so enamored with the gospel that it permeates every relationship and especially the marriage relationship. And Father, I pray that as we love our wives in this way that indeed they would flourish spiritually. That they would grow in their love for you. And in this way we might bring glory to you through that holy institution that you have ordained for your glory, this covenant of marriage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.